everyone and welcome to another episode of Opera After Dark. Dun, dun. We did our own sound effect. Harmony. Hi folks. Um, so we got a new episode of Opera After Dark for you. Um, obviously, well maybe not obviously, I don't know. We're going to talk about Mozart's possibly greatest opera, mm-hmm. Don Giovanni. Um, and we are sadly handicapped today because we are sans Kyle, because he's the worst. And he was not available to record today. So um, let's talk about how much Kyle sucks. Naomi? Kyle, you let us down, buddy. You let us down, buddy. No, really, we love you. We just... <laughs> <laughs> Everything's fine. Everything's fine. We don't blame you at all. Um, and it's probably, well, I don't know. It's probably a good thing because last time we tried to do an opera where I was going to tell the plot, you interrupted me the whole time. So... <laughs> Shh, it all comes out. It all comes out. Um, but the reason we're going to talk about Giovanni today, um, which is not something that we would normally talk about in Opera After Dark, but our friends over at Heartbeat Opera, who are an amazing company here in the city, um, their festival this season is going to be a Fidelio by Beethoven, which we didn't really have time to talk about, but God, it's the worst. Um, <laughs> and Don Giovanni. So if you're in the mood to see either of those operas, and obviously Fidelio's not that bad, it's just kind of boring, whatever. Um, Let's just say Beethoven was very tortured writing this. And after writing, he was like, I'm never doing an opera ever again. And he never did. So oh, it's because at the premiere, it was right in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars. So there was nobody in the audience, but like, some um, French soldiers and like Beethoven's friends and obviously the French soldiers like don't speak German and so it was a total disaster and he felt really demoralized afterwards which is why heads up there are like four different versions of Fidelia because he kept rewriting it because he thought that people hated it and granted that audience hated, hated it. it I also didn't learned, know what's going on I learned weirdly that Beethoven did write a mad a mad-ish scene for Leonora which is the character in Fidelia <sighs> Where he wrote a glass harmonica part, but it never got published and it was never performed. I only knew that he wrote like three different versions of the overture. Yeah, I just, I was researching glass harmonica stuff the other day. Like one does. Like one does. um, When you work on other podcasts that are much more serious. Mm. And... And so I was trying to figure out other ways that the glass harmonica was used, and I learned that Beethoven wrote for it in this scene that he wrote for Leonora that never saw the light of day. So Maybe someone will find it in a basement or an attic. Because I feel like that's how things get found in attics. One of my professors in undergrad told me a story about how her friend like smuggled a Josquin manuscript out of a monastery somewhere in Europe. And so Well that's how the like new version of the Tales of Hoffman was found. Like they smuggled it? Well they didn't smuggle it, but they found it in it was like the eighties. They didn't smuggle right. anything. Okay. But they okay. found it in an attic somewhere. Right. And they're like, What's this? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh hey. Yeah. Cause remember we talked about it before, but like there were like four fires and everything got burnt. Right. In the theaters and stuff like that. Right. Anyway, we're not talking about those operas. No, 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 no. We're talking about one of my favorite composers, Wolfgang mm-hmm. Amadeus Mozart. Fan of poop. Fan of poop. We've went over this mm-hmm. in episode like seven or something like that. The first episode where I made Kyle cry. Yes. It's a big milestone for me. Yes. Um, before we get into Giovanni, Heartbeat Opera season runs May 2nd through the 13th at the Baruch Performing Arts Center, which is on Lexington Avenue. Um, if you're interested in either seeing Giovanni or Fidelio, you should go check it out. They do really interesting stuff. They do their own orchestrations. It's super cool. Go check it out. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. Toy, toy, toy to all our friends at Heartbeat. Exactly. But let's talk about... Giovanni. So this opera, I'm just going to put like a disclaimer on this whole episode that no matter what I say, I adore this opera. She adores it. I love it. No I matter how thoughts. no matter how problematic it might be at times and how ridiculous some of the characters might be, it is brilliant. And I feel like it's probably to me one of the the tightest Mozart scores. 
Like you, fair. You know, like sometimes in, in La Nozze di Figaro, which I also adore and like even more than this opera, like it's my favorite opera of all time, but there are some moments where I'm like, buddy, you could have cut, a, you know, like you could have trimmed Act a little bit. Act three. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I feel like Don Giovanni moves at this like great pace where just the pacing of it is awesome and you, you never really feel like it's like dragging or boring or mm-hmm. things like that. Totally. Well, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, Don Giovanni is uh, Don Juan, the story of Casanova, which has mm-hmm. been played out so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, There's so yeah. much interesting things written about this opera and about the Don Juan story and the influence of Casanova and Don Juan on on all kinds of things and kind of the life of Don Giovanni as an opera over the past 200 years. Fun fact, folks, it was written in 1787. Mm-hmm. And I remember this all the time because I was, I don't know, I don't want to say when I was born. Why not? Well... All right, I was born in 1987, so it's like <laughs> 200 years exactly. It's not exact to the month, but like it helps Close me remember. Enough. It helps me remember. So I share like a a year with Don Giovanni. So um, Mozart worked really closely with this librettist, Lorenzo de Ponte, who we talked about in the first season, who lived a weird-ass life. Um, <laughs> and their, fam- their collaboration is famous for three operas, which is mm-hmm. Così fan tutte, uh, Le Nozze di Figaro, and Don Giovanni. And, um, not in that order, though. Not in that order. What is the order of that? Le Nozze di Figaro is, is number the first one. one. Don Giovanni's number two. And Così's the last one? Così's the last one. And Così's, like, it's really weird. It's kind of fraught in mystery as to, like, how they even, how and why they even started working on it together. Well, the um, only thing I know about Così is that the woman that Lorenzo de Ponte was sleeping with at the time was, like, an aspiring opera singer. Mm-hmm. And he convinced Mozart to cast her as um, the lead soprano role, Fiordaligi. Um, and he was really, really pissed about it. And so uh, the aria Comiscolio, uh, which is really famous because it's extremely difficult, there are weird leaps in it of like thirteenths and things like that. And he wrote it that way, and he wrote it so hard because he hated this woman so much. He was just like setting her up for failure. He, there was also there's legend that she had this idiosyncrasy that when she was trying to get a high note, she would crane her neck up. And then when she oh. would sing a really low note, she would like bury her chin kind of in her chest. Solid technique. So if you have, right? <laughs> so if you have jumps of a 13th where you're going, oh, which is like what the whole aria of Kama School yeah, yeah. is, you just have this head like bobbing up and down the whole, the whole time.
So that's also, and he did it deliberately because he hated her and he, he knew that she so would do much. that. Yeah. And it would be funny for the audience. So. There you go, people. One of the most famous soprano arias <laughs> ever. Um, Britain, born of hate. Born of hate because he didn't like this lady. He made it as difficult as he feasibly could. Right. Um, but we're not talking about Cozy. We're talking about Giovanni. So the other thing I love about Giovanni is that Don Giovanni was written for Prague. Mm-hmm. So he had already had Mozart and De Ponte had had this success with La Nozze di Figaro in Vienna, and then Figaro tra- kind of traveled to Prague. People in Prague loved it. They were like, we, we can't get enough Mozart. Right. right. And so then they commissioned him t- to write another opera, and that's kind of how Don Giovanni came into being. And the theater in which Don Giovanni made its world premiere is still standing in Prague. It's the Estates Theater. It's this adorable little cupcake of an mm-hmm. opera house. <laughs> and you can go there still and see concerts and things performed there. And it really kind of transforms your idea of what this must have sounded like at the time because this place is small. Like, How it maybe small? holds 500 people max. Okay. So the stage is small and actually in the film Amadeus which despite all its historical inaccuracies I also absolutely adore and is awesome uh, they film a lot of the opera performance scenes in the Estates Theatre in Prague so that will give you if you watch that movie it can give you a sense of the size and scope of the theatre even though cameras do make it look bigger than it actually feels when you're there but but yeah so People in Prague love Mozart. They did then, they do now. <laughs> and so if you go there, there's like posters of Mozart prancing around in the streets. Like, Who doesn't love Mozart? Who doesn't? He loved poop. So He loved poop. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Giovanni. Um, do you want to do a brief little brief plot synopsis? Sure. Um, so the, the thing that this, one thing that this opera is famous for is that when the, when the curtain rises, you're kind of dropped right into the middle of the action. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of starts, as the scholars say, and media reyes, like mm-hmm. in the middle of action. And so um, it's kind of weird because Don Giovanni seems to be in the middle of seducing Donna Anna, but Donna Anna doesn't realize that it's Don Giovanni, or she says she doesn't realize Well, let's just do the plot, and then let's Giovanni. go back and talk okay. about that, because that's, like, a big... That's a big thing. A thing. Yeah. So let's continue on. So, like, kind of, at first sight, perhaps you believe that Don, Donna Anna doesn't realize it's Don Giovanni, and then... Right, and she's engaged to somebody else. She's engaged to somebody right. else, Don Ottavio, absolute sweetheart. The worst. <laughs> and... What a milquetoast, useless character. <laughs> we'll get to that. Go on, go on, I'm sorry. And, and so... <laughs> this is already terrible. Right. Kyle, where are you? <laughs> we need you. <laughs> Keep us on track. So we've also drank a whole bottle of wine between the two of us. So I mean, it's between two people. It's not that much wine. It's true. And whatever. we ate. So. And we ate food, so it's fine. Okay. So you're dropped into the action. You The curtain rises kind of at the moment where Donna Anna realizes that Don Giovanni's not who she thought he was. And right. she's like, scoundrel, get out of my room. Did she think it was... Her fiance is that? I think so. She says, okay. That's what she says. Or, okay. And then Don Giovanni's like, oh no, honey, like I'm not gonna leave. We're having so much fun. Mm-hmm. And then mm. they're causing a lot of commotion, as you might imagine. It wakes her father, and then Donna Anna's father comes out and he sees this like masked man basically sexually assaulting his daughter. And right. he's like, scoundrel, get down here, like answer for your crimes. They get into a sword fight. Don Giovanni stabs him and he dies there on stage. The end. <laughs> That's like all of the first 15 <laughs> minutes, right? So that really sets everything up. And Donna Anna claims that she never knows who this masked man was. Mm-hmm. As her father's like dying in her arms, her fiance, Don Ottavio, comes on. He's like, oh my goodness, what happened? Where and, have I been this whole time? Right. Where have I been? I'm the worst. What have you done? What's happening? And then, so. The whole plot moves forward from there under the assumption that Donna Anna doesn't really know who the masked man was. They don't know who the murderer was. And she's mourning the loss of her father. And they want to avenge her father, but they don't really know how to or who to avenge him with. Mm -hmm. And as that plot's kind of carrying on, Don Giovanni's like, 
going, having fun and doing his thing. And just he's basically operating under the assumption that nobody knows who he was. Nobody knows it was him. Right. So he's a nobleman that's running around yeah. in disguise, seducing ladies. Right. And so then you also figure out fairly early on that he does know Donna Anna, Donna Tavio socially because mm-hmm. later on he kind of comes onto the scene. He's like, oh, hello, fair people. How are you today? What's going on, France? And then they're like, oh, it's been such a sad day. And they relate the events to him. So it's clear that he knows them socially and he's obviously manipulative and keeps things from, is mm-hmm. keeping it from them his, that he was involved in this. And so he's kind of, uh, he starts going about his merry way, which means essentially he's like on to find the next lady to seduce. Hanging out with his servant. Yes. Leporello. So he has this servant, Leporello, who's like the comic relief and adorable and horrible and wonderful all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so Leporello says to him at some points, like, I can't believe I still work for you. I'm quitting. And then Don Giovanni's like, don't do that. Here's more gold. And then Leporello's like, okay, I'll stay. <laughs> okay. okay. And so they're off to find the next lady to seduce. And while they're doing this, who comes onto the scene but Donna Elvira. <gasps> and in the current Met production, and in many productions, she enters in the most fabulous traveling clothes. And I have seen productions where she enters in a wedding dress. Yes. Yeah, which and I that's, think is interesting. Because the big debate is, um, theoretically... Giovanni said he was going to marry Elvira, right? There are many... That she's either his wife or they were engaged and, like, he left her at the altar, all this kind of stuff. There's a few subtle clues in the libretto that, depending on how you interpret them, and scholars, of course, love to spill ink about how to interpret it, that she was either left at the altar, but the more plausible explanation is that he either actually married her or like fake married her mm-hmm. where he pretended to marry her in order to get her to sleep with him and then always planned to just like hightail it afterwards and run totally. away and so there is one line where she says something to the effect of like you you make me fall in love with you you propose you propose to me i marry you we have our wedding night and then you take off right and this woman is like very I'm guessing she took her her marriage vows or engagement vows very seriously mm-hmm. because she then is determined to pursue him. She hunts him down. She hunts him down throughout the opera and wants to win him back and kind of convert him from his philandering ways. And so she enters, she sings this awesome aria that's kind of like, how could you do this to me? No, that's not it. What is her entrance aria? No, that's another one. Mitri Date's later. Um, I think it's different. Yes. Let's listen to it. Yes, here it is. Here is Donna Elvira's entrance aria. At this point, she doesn't see Don Giovanni like lurking in the shadows. Don Giovanni like hanging out in the street. Hanging out in the street. And as soon as this aria ends, this is her introduction to us all. So we get to learn a little bit about her character. And right after this opera ends, he doesn't recognize her, and he's like, I smell a lady. And so he hits on her. He hits on her, and then she basically turns around, and he's like, oh, God. Right, and then he leaves, and Leporello's left to be like, oh, hey. Right, and then Leporello's great, because Leporello's like, okay. Well, let's listen to this this first. first. (laughs) Okay, this is Donna Elvira's entrance.
So then we establish her as a, a very dominant sort of character. Giovanni sees her. He hits on her because she she's a woman. Is a lady, so why not? Um, realizes that he's possibly married to her, flees, and then leaves Leporello to sort of deal with the aftermath. And then Leporello sings one of the more famous arias mm-hmm. in this opera. It's called the Catalog Aria, where Leporello uh, essentially takes out a book that he flips down. It's like this huge scroll in some productions where he lists the number of women that Don Giovanni has seduced in all of the different countries in the world. And it's like, we're not talking like a lady here, a lady there. It's like, like thousands. It's like multiple hundreds in this country, another right. multiple hundreds in this other country. And what is it in Spain? España, Maya, España, three million. I think that's 320. Right? I don't Mille think it's a thousand. Is it? Oh, it's really a thousand, so three thousand. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so he gets around. Yeah, and Leporello is essentially saying, like, don't think that you're special and don't, don't, don't feel dest- bad. Don't feel bad and don't destroy your life for this person. He doesn't care about you. Yeah. And I think Leporello is legitimately trying to be like, lady, go find a better life. Mm-hmm. Don't waste your time. Let's listen to a little bit of that. Yeah. Un catalogo questo, delle belle che amo il padron mio, un catalogo che ho fatto io, osservate, leggete con me, osservate, leggete con me. In Italia 640, in Bavagna 231. All right, so this catalog aria might sort of discussed Donna Elvira in the moment, but it's not enough to get her to abandon her quest to find... No, she's here for vengeance. She's here for vengeance. Or I don't even know what. She's kind of here for vengeance. She's trying to win him back. She's trying to redeem him. him. There's a little bit of like a rescue complex. Like, I'm going to be the one to rescue this man. Um, Lady, you won't be. No. So while she's off hunting down Don Giovanni, Mm -hmm. Don Giovanni stumbles upon this peasant wedding happening. He does. (laughs) Yes. Who is getting married? Little peasant girl named Zerlina mm-hmm. to the lovely, though maybe not entirely smart, smart Masetto. Masetto. And so again, Don Giovanni's like, oh, look, a woman, I can seduce her. And so he starts going after Zerlina. And this there's this really interesting duet that they sing where... The, the kind of, this taps into the larger theory about Don Giovanni, mm-hmm. where the idea is that Don Giovanni himself doesn't really ever have music that's purely his style. Like every other character in this opera, the style that they sing in and the style of the music that accompanies them is very identifiable as that character's kind of world, musical world that they live in. Donna Anna and Donna Tavio have a very distinct, Distinct style. Mm-hmm. Elvira sounds a little bit different, and she occupies her own kind of musical territory. Zerlina and Mazzetto, they or Mazzetto, they they sound like peasants. They, their music is very like rural. It has all of these kind of musical tropes in it that make you think like, oh, this is a peasant dance, or mm-hmm. this is like a rural setting. This is kind of like like folkish music, pastoral music. Don Giovanni himself never really belongs to any one particular world. He's seen and heard as like a chameleon whose music changes depending on what person he's trying to seduce in that moment. And seduce not just sexually like a woman, but also there's moments where he's interacting with Don Ottavio and he takes on the tone of Don Ottavio to try and convince him, like, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. How mm-hmm. horrible. Her father was murdered. That's terrible. Right? And so 
The idea is that his music changes no matter who he's talking to, and he's like a chameleon blending into whoever, adopting the language of whoever he's speaking to so that he lulls them into a feeling of security of some kind. I mean, I think that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. So in this duet, he definitely takes on the musical language of Zerlina, and in the duet, if you listen really carefully, you can hear that Zerlina is paired with the flute in the beginning, and then Don Giovanni is paired with the bassoon, and then as the duet goes on, their vocal lines kind of start moving closer and closer together to the point where they're basically completing each other's sentences instead of going back and forth, back Mm -hmm. and forth. It gets closer and closer. They start completing each other's sentences. And then it's to the point where the bassoon starts accompanying Zerlina and the flute starts accompanying (sighs) Don Giovanni. So it's like they become so entwined. Let's listen. That that's the moment that you know that she's like fallen for his seductive ways. Let us listen to that. This is La Cirem La Mano. If you don't know it, you actually do. It's very famous. Seduces Serlina on her wedding day. Yeah. And they go to his house to fuck. But they don't yet. No, but they're going to. Um, but is it consensual? Well, we'll get right. there. Well, no, do we want to talk about that now or? Sure. So there's a big debate, debate about Giovanni in general as to whether all of the, any of these interactions are consensual. Not just Serlina, yes. but also um, Donna Anna. Right. Um, there are some directors who decide that um, either Donna Anna uh, was in on it from the get-go and she knew who he was, and then when they got caught... She takes on this, like... She takes on this persona. And there also are um, people who are of the mind that Donna Anna was raped. Right. Um, and it's a big point of contention and debate, and I think it's very open to interpretation. Yeah. I find it slightly more interesting if it's like a Donna Anna um, is in on it from the get-go as an engaged woman who's having this delicious affair with somebody else, um, because I think it makes a lot more sense, because you'll see later on in the opera, every time um, her fiancé, Don Tavio, goes to her and say, and says, you know, I know you're in mourning, your father has just died, but we should get married, we should get married, and she keeps pushing him away. Right. Um, and I think that sort of makes a case that this is not something that she actually wants. Right. And the same can be said for Zerlina, where some directors and singers play it off as if 
as soon as Don Giovanni starts seducing her, she kind of sees an opportunity for her to rise socially. Sure. Right? Because she's about to marry a, another peasant of her same social Someone class. class yeah. But Don Giovanni's clearly an aristocrat, so like maybe if this aristocrat's showing interest in her, maybe she could do better. Right? And then Mazzetto, and so she kind of entertains this idea for a while. So some people think that Zarlina's very complicit in mm -hmm. These exchanges, and then every and a few times she gets caught by Mazzetto, like flirting with and and kind of engaging in very sexual behavior with this other man, and she kind of tries to brush it off, like, oh Mazzetto, you just don't understand what's going on, exactly, and, you yeah. know, like, like I love Mazzetto you, is kind of an idiot, so. right? And so, so there is that debate that is seen on in Don Giovanni's interactions with many of the characters, not just one. But I also think that sort of um, plays into the idea that, you know, Giovanni is a chameleon, doesn't have music of his own, that he's sort of this... Mm -hmm. um, the seducer. The seducer, but he's also sort of this template for people to project their own desires onto. I mean, yeah. I think all great art, um, what makes it great is the ability to interpret it 18,000 different ways. For sure. And it's however the audience sees it. And so I think that's what makes this opera... And there's also really a really interesting history if you read like musicologists like Marianne Smart and Karen Henson and other writers who have tried to trace like the performance practice of Don Giovanni because mm -hmm. there is this period, I think if I'm remembering correctly, in like the 60s, 70s and early 80s where Don Giovanni is played a lot of the time as like this very heroic seducer. Like yeah. he's this kind of this epitome of of like the macho man the like irresistible man who the women just can't help themselves but fall for him and it's like as if, as if he doesn't even have to try and the women right. just fall and into his feet the women have no agency of their own. right like yeah. they're just they have no agency they just can't help themselves it's just like they're completely taken in by this and lately i think especially in the past decade we've seen a really significant shift in how directors are interpreting this character and saying well wait a minute like this person, all of these women might not be as, you know, they might not be as clueless as we're playing them off to be. This might not be consensual. This might not be, like Don Giovanni might just be an extremely horrible person. And, and I think it's interesting. And again, that uh, goes back to what I was saying before about like great works of art can really be influenced mm -hmm. by the um, circumstances in which they are being performed. And I think right. that, you know, the current... Um, Political climate, social climate, all really influences right. how you um, see and how you direct and how you produce a production of Don Giovanni. And the great thing about this piece of music is that it can support yes. a million different interpretations because there's so much in the text and in the score. And, and then on the complete other end of the kind of debate is this idea is that why are we, why is it that the women can't be pursuing a relationship with him in a sexual experience because they desire it for pure pleasure. Like that's another mm -hmm. another side of this where a lot of the debate has focused on like whether or not women have agency and whether or not it's consensual, but another side of this that some directors could play off of is how much these women are like empowered to make their own choices. Right. And and so there's like you said, there's so many ways you can interpret this and so many ways so many things that you can bring into it depending on how the characters are played and how you direct it and how how you choose to go about staging this work. Mm -hmm. So, But anyway. So keep that in mind as we keep telling you the plot. Keep telling the plot. So like Zerlina and Giovanni go off to his house and they're going to bone. And then who shows up but... <laughs> Mazzetto. Mazzetto. And then oh, all wait, the isn't other characters. Oh, wait, isn't that when Donna Elvira shows up? Yes. And Elvira's like, wait. lady, wait, Stop! This man is going to hurt you. Run away! Right, right. And Zerlina's like, "What are you talking about?" And a bunch of shit happens. And then Mazzetto comes in. He's like, "What's going on?" Mm -hmm. And then they sing this really awkward duet, where no, it's an aria. Aria, right? Where Zerlina sings this aria to Mazzetto, trying to convince him to uh, like assuage his suspicions that she's been unfaithful, that she's flirted with another man. Assuage. She's how would you say it? Not that way. How do you say it? Assuage. Assuage? Yeah. I've n 
that's ridiculous. Now I'm trying to, now you're like giving me a complex. I don't know what I'm <laughs> pronouncing really. I think it's assuage. Yeah, whatever. You're Canadian. It's fine. fine. Assuage. Assuage. It It does. The French Canadian way to pronounce it anyway. He's assuaging. She's assuaging. His suspicions. His fears. Yes. yes. Fears and suspicions. And she sings this aria, Batti Battio Bel Mazzetto. Let's not listen to it. No. Because let's just not. Um, It basically translates to, like, beat me, beat me, Mazzetto. If you think that I've been unfaithful to you, you should just, like, just punish me. Just punish me. Yeah. Which has its own, like, weird BDSM overtones, whatever. Again, great art is open to many interpretations. Right. Moving on. So. He's a swash. <laughs> He's a swash. <laughs> He's a swash. So they go off there. Okay. Moving yeah. on. So, and of course, Don Giovanni's like, well, I'm not going to get any there, so I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on because right. I can. And this whole time, who's like wandering around, I don't know, wherever this takes place, Seville. Spain. Spain. Wandering around Spain trying to find him, Donna Elvira. Yep. And in this time period, she has bumped into Donna Anna and Donna Tavio. Because they're of the same social class, so why not? She's right. wandering the hills in this one production I saw. In a wedding dress with a shotgun, so she stands right. out. Right. You know? And there's this great scene, actually, where all four of them are on stage at the same time. Like, Donna Elvira, Don Giovanni, Donna Anna, and Donna Tavio. So, like, imagine the awkward turtleness that happens, especially if we're going with the theory that Donna Anna knows that it was Don Giovanni. Right. Right? So, Don Giovanni, well, Donna, Donna Elvira sees Anna and Ottavio, and she's like, People that look sane, help me. Right. This man is horrible, and he's he's done horrible things to me. And then Don Giovanni's like, oh, my friends, don't listen to this poor lady. She's crazy. She's crazy. She's crazy. And then they have this aside where they're like, does she look crazy? I don't think she looks crazy. Do you think she's crazy? I don't mm. think she's crazy. <laughs> and, then, and then Giovanni's kind of like working the situation trying to, like, essentially, like, shoo Elvira away, get her away so that she can't divulge all of his dirty secrets right. to these two. In this moment, Don Giovanni effectively gets rid of Elvira. But then later on, Elvira does kind of reconnect with Ottavio and Anna, and the three of them team up. Right. So in order a, a to... a big party at Yes, because cause Giovanni's kind of got this idea that, well, maybe if I throw, like, a wedding party for Zerlina and Mazzetto, I might be able to, like, pull her into a closet at some point. Right, because, you know, obviously he's like, I can move on, but he's sort of fixated on Zerlina, so why yeah. not? Right. So he throws this party and uh-huh. the wedding feast, and as he's preparing for this party, he also... Donna Anna, Ottavio, and Elvira have kind of teamed up and they've decided to go to the party together. They're to crashing th- it. Yeah. They wear masks. And But before the party happens, isn't this where he goes to the graveyard? Oh, God, I don't remember. The order of events is getting muddled in my mind. We're drunk. But at some point, he goes to the graveyard because he feels a little bit guilty for killing Donna Anna's dad, obviously. And he, like, goes to the grave where her dad is buried. And then he hears her dad. And what... And it's grand. That hasn't happened quite yet. I know, but it's so iconic. He says, Uh I'm a bass. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He goes to the graveyard, and it's this great moment where there's trombones. Mm -hmm. And I think Don Giovanni's, like, probably kind of drunk, and he's feeling kind of carefully drunk. Right. And he mocks the grave, and he's like, oh, if you're so powerful, if you're... Yeah, how'd I kill you, you know? How'd I kill you, and... Why don't you come join me for dinner tomorrow if you're, like, you know, living and breathing and doing so well? And then, like, the ghost of of Donna Anna's dead father. The commendatore. The commendatore. He's like, yeah, I will I'll meet you for you. dinner. I'll and the whole time Leparel's like, this is a bad idea. I don't like yeah. this. Poor Leparel is in the corner like, what is happening? Right. And at this moment, Mozart uses a lot of trombone which apparently was considered like the creepiest sounding instrument you could possibly get your hands on at huh. that time. So, in Berlioz's treatise on instrumentation, we all know about Berlioz. Oof. Crazy man. Crazy man. But like lived quite a bit later than Mozart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Berlioz wrote that trombones had had the most creepy timbre that they should really only be, in timbre means like the quality of sound, 
that they should only be used as like a special effect instrument really sparingly. And they had this kind of history of being attached to the supernatural. So that's why when Mozart used them in Don Giovanni in the graveyard scene, it probably would have sent like chills down the spine of the audience because cool. they immediately would have been like, who ghost? What is this ghost? Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So the ghost of the commendatore says, it's a date. I'll join you for dinner. Mm-hmm. Then we go to the party scene. It's a party. And and the cool thing about this. Oh, it's so brilliant. Is that there are like, not eight, but like three different conversations that are happening at the same time. And they're all in different tempos. Yes. There's three different dance meters. Mm -hmm. And usually it's coolest when a production plans it such that there's like three different stage bands playing three different pieces of music all at the same same time. time. Mm -hmm. And there's three different dance groups happening and the dances are also when when you know a little bit about the history of dance each dance is tied with a different social class as well and so it sort of shows you like the blending of social classes at this party and it's amazing when you look at the score because it's literally three different time signatures stacked on top of each other and it just works so works the dance scene happens yes and it's and amazing during the dance scene, all of a sudden, like what, what Don Giovanni does during this moment, Donna Anna, Donna Tavio, and Donna Elvira are all disguised with masks. They're trying to like suss out who the person was that killed her father mm-hmm. at this party. And then Zerlina is there because it's her, her wedding party. And then all of a sudden you hear, or Leporello is charged with distracting Mazzetto mm-hmm. during this dance. So he basically like whirls Mazzetto away from Zerlina, separates them. Also that Don Giovanni can like grab Zerlina and literally drag her into a dark corner and right. have his way with her. And so at this moment, I think this is one of the moments in the opera where it's clearly not consensual Mm -hmm. and she screams and then everyone's like what has happened and then she runs out from wherever he's dragged her and she's like this man he tried to harass me he's Mm -hmm. horrible and then doesn't Don Giovanni like somehow get away in the commotion of it all right he blames Leporello and he like throws Leporello to the wolves and as everyone's trying to figure out in the chaos like what is happening are you really the man who did this to her don giovanni just like runs from his own house he escapes so that happens that happens then it's it's night night it's dark Mm -hmm. it's dinner time because at night you get hungry so don giovanni after the partiers have dispersed they, he's back in his, I guess, his private chambers or something, and he's decided it's time to eat. So then he has, like, some kind of entertainment being played for him. Wasn't there a bunch of shit where, like, people are chasing him and Leporello dresses as Giovanni and, like, try to transplace him? Yeah, that's right, that's right. We're drunk, folks. There is an amazing production that Peter Seller has directed of Don Giovanni. It's so good. He managed to find... Um, two singers to sing Giovanni and Leporello who were actually legit brothers who were twins. They're like near identical twins. So the whole scene where they like switch identities and Leporello pretends to be Giovanni against his will and vice versa, it's the only time it legit works because they look exactly (laughs) like because they're twins. (laughs) Right. How they found these two guys, this baritone and this bass, I don't know, but it's like... It's amazing. It's amazing. That production is also set in like 1980s New York, the Bronx. And it's it's kind of weird because like Donna Elvira's kind of painted to be like a drug addict mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But it's very interesting. It is it's really fascinating. You should check it out. Peter Sellers, where did you find these guys? Honestly. Yeah. Amazing. I bet he met them and he was like, perfect idea for a Don Giovanni. Yeah, seriously. But anyway... So, so that happens. They avoid everybody. Giovanni ends up back at his chambers. He's like, it's time for dinner <laughs> the next day. Right. I remember that he had said to the commendatore, come to my house for dinner. Why don't you come to my house for dinner? I'm not scared of you. And the commendatore right. says, okay, great. Um, but before that happens, who shows up? Elvira. Elvira. There's also this great mo- moment right before she shows up where 
he's like, people, entertain me, like mm-hmm. his servants. And then they start playing something. He's like, no, I don't like that one. And then they play something else. And then he's like, oh, I know this one really well. And the joke is that the baritone who sung Don Giovanni mm-hmm. sung Figaro. Figaro in the previous production. It's non più dry, right? Yes, non più dry. And anyway. Yeah. So, so then Don like, ha, ha, ha. Ha, I know that one. And then right as he's just like, you know, living it up with his wine and food and entertainment, who comes bursting in but Donna Helvey her. And she's like, God love her. I know. It's just like, I love you. Repent. Repent. Let's run away. I believe in you. And Giovanni's I forgive like, you. what is happening to give you the impression that I would be down with this? And sort of casts her aside and she has this horrible moment. Mm-hmm. She's like, I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And she leaves. Whatever. And then... Once he scorned her, and he's just like, I don't care. I'm invincible. Mm-hmm. All of a Who sudden. Who shows up? Don Giovanni. It's the Commendatore. And there's a big, there's a whole big Shayna, and guess what mm-hmm. happens? The Commendatore drags Don Giovanni into hell. Yes. The Commendatore is like, you have two choices. Repent your ways and stop being such a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Or join, or I will drag you down to hell. And Don Giovanni's like, I'd like to see you try. Yeah, and then he's like, literally, okay. And in many productions, there's flames and Fire. there's like a trapdoor. The and- hubris of the white man. Yes, and he gets dragged down. And it's usually great because there's all these flames and Leporello's like crying behind the table. And he's right. like, oh my God. And then Don Giovanni's hand is like the last thing you see and he's like ah the end sometimes sometimes so mozart wrote a little epilogue that's tagged on that um the rest of the characters sing minus don giovanni that's basically like see what happens if you don't repent your ways da 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 hey um which is sort of (laughs) a um a tradition of the theater at that time sometimes a lot of times that is cut, and directors end it with Giovanni mm. being dragged into hell. I mean, it's so dramatic that it's kind of a perfect ending, even if a lot of their the other characters' like storylines are not really tied up. Right. Right? It's just that epic moment with the flames and the minor chords and the commendatore, and, like, it's just so dramatic that you're like, oh, let's end, like, it's over. The story comes to this dramatic closing. But I think that in some cases people felt like, or Mozart felt that maybe we should kind of like wrap it up nicely. Right. So they come out and they basically sing the moral of the of the opera. Of the opera. Yeah. And and weirdly, Donna Anna and Donna Tavio are like, we'll get married, but we'll give it a couple years. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't predict that that relationship is going to last. It's sad because I feel like Donna Tavio has some really beautiful music. He mm. sings some really beautiful music, mm. but he kind of comes across as like he just doesn't get the hint and he won't let it go. Seriously. Yeah, he's just like, please, Anna, marry me. And she's like, I need time. Mm-hmm. I need time. And he just doesn't get the hint. So that's why a lot of people don't like him, because he comes across as a bit of like okay. a... A wet blanket. Yeah. But that's not too funny. So needless to say... Going to see the opera, you can have like wildly different ex- experiences and interpretations of it depending on the company and the director right, and the singer. Right, makes and it really interesting every time. I really think that this is why this opera is so popular and so enduring because it just it itself is like a chameleon, like keeps moving and changing with the times, but yet staying the same at the same time. Yeah. So. So if you haven't listened to it, check it out. If there's a place near you that is performing it, go check that out because I'm sure there probably is. It's very popular. Mm-hmm. And Kyle, you suck. We miss you. I don't miss you. You <laughs> suck. <laughs> Make us a blooper reel. Mm, Kyle. All right. So that's Don Giovanni. If you're in New York City, check it out at Heartbeat Opera yeah, in May. May 2nd through the 13th. 2nd through 13th. And check us out at operaafterdark.com, on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, we'll be back with you next week. We apologize this episode's probably a little delayed, but we're going to be back with all three of us. For something amazing, something I've been waiting for 
for two years. <laughs> Everyone get ready. I'm super excited. And with that, I'm Naomi. I'm Elspeth. And I'm Kyle. Kyle, you suck. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Opera After Dark. Bye. the last word. Let's go to dinner. And I'll uh, buy you a drink or something. I don't really have uh, drag you to hell powers, uh, but I can get drunk with the best of them. See you next week.